on the job with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. It's On The Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. My name is Francis Leach. My name is Sally Rugg and some of the things I say today will definitely not represent my employer. Nah, that's not true. I, I, don't, I don't say anything too controversial. But today might be the day, so don't go anywhere. Sally could just light it up <laughs> with something that's just going to go viral. But uh, probably not because she's come in here to do On The Job. She's just getting into the new routine of the school drop-off and everything's gone to poo because she's turned up. Now, the, the, the yin and the yang of Sally Rugg's breakfast is really interesting. We've got the kombucha, which is good for the gut. I do believe, Sally, that's good for you. <laughs> on, I mean, on that side of the table. And over there, we've got the the chocolate chip cookie, the size of your <laughs> like the size of a dinner plate, which was this morning's breakfast in the car on the way to the podcast. Right. How are well, you going with this, Sal? Look, time <laughs> and how we move through it is something that remains perplexing <laughs> to me. When I dropped my stepkid at school today. She said to me, we're sometimes early and sometimes late, but we're never on time. And I said, yeah, I'm sorry. So, yeah, it's a petrol station breakfast on the way to this podcast <laughs> recording today. And I'll have you know, it is the <laughs> breakfast of champions. Is it a good cookie? Yeah. I'm just jealous, that's all. Uh, coming up on the podcast today, two things, very different things. But uh, One about getting a pay rise, particularly for women. We know, Sally, that the gender pay gap, that thing is dug in. That is going to take some serious shifting. We need to use some heavy grunt to try to shift the gender pay gap. And there's one little thing that's happening, which I find really interesting, which is called Pep Talker, which is an app that's devised to help women be armed to ask for a pay rise. Yeah, and I think that sort of the theory behind it is that, you know, while the union movement and a whole bunch of other organisations are working to correct and remedy the gender pay gap at like a structural level, this app is kind of bridging that gap, I suppose, and helping women in the workplace manage up and advocate for themselves while we get the sort of top-down reform. So we're going to talk to Maggie Palmer, who invented Pep Talker in a moment. And after that, we will also catch up with Dan Walton from the AWU, the Australian Workers' Union, on a serious issue about dangerous dusts in the workplace and also when you're doing your home reno. Silica is often a present in a lot of the stones and things that we use when it comes to construction and DIY stuff, and it's really dangerous. And Dan's going to tell us about that in a little while. It's On The Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. Maggie Palmer, after this. This is On The Job with Francis Leach and Sally Rock. It's On The Job, the podcast all about making your working life better. One thing that will make your working life better, Sally Rugg, is if you can get a pay rise. How do you go when it comes to asking for more cash or, you know, better, more holidays or a rise in your conditions, paying standards? Are you good at just fronting up and saying, hey, gimme? You'll be shocked to hear that I am quite good at it. Um, But that's because I work as a campaigner. So I sort of like run campaigns or support campaigns in the real world. You start your own petition for your own pay rise. And I'm meanwhile sort of like organising internally to lobby 
for pay rises or sort of like worker conditions within. But also I've worked at a lot of workplaces where there's really structured criteria and there's efforts to sort of like standardise and formalise how to get a pay rise, which is cool, doesn't always get stuck to. Being able to advocate for a pay rise or for your rights is really important, particularly because, and I'm sure our next guest will talk us through this, is all the blokes are doing it. Mm. Like it, it, Everybody else is doing it. Of course, joining a union is one good way to get a pay rise and working collectively to uh, achieve that. But also, when you need to go and speak to the person in charge and have that conversation, how do you do it? Well, there's an app for that. Quite literally, there is. It's called Pep Talk Her, and it was created by Maggie Palmer, who joins us here on the job to discuss what Pep Talk Her is all about. Maggie, welcome to On the Job. Thanks for having me, Francis and Sally. Really appreciate it. There's an app for everything, but I didn't realise there was an app for a pay rise. <laughs> Where did this idea come from? There is an app for everything these days. So, look, Pep Talker and the whole concept of the business uh, and the app came out of frustration, honestly. Like, I think a lot of people, when you see something that really pisses you off, uh, you go about figuring out how can you fix it. And there's a bunch of different things that we need to do to close the gender pay gap. But anyway, long story short, after a heap of research, one of the things that I realized was that you could actually shift behavior through small incremental changes. So anyway, my experience of inequality in the workplace is where is where the idea of the app came from and yeah, it's just grown from there. So I download the app. Like, is it going to buzz in my pocket, you know, if I say something in a meeting and then immediately apologise for speaking up? Like, is it going to be like, no, don't do that? Well, I wish it did. And maybe that's something I need to talk to our devs about, Sally, to put on the product roadmap. Because it's interesting, this whole idea of women apologise more than men is a whole other conversation. The app works by, it sends you props. So basically, two or three times a week, it'll be like, Francis, what's up? Sally, what's up? What are you really proud of this week? What have you done at work this week that we need to keep track of? Because, you know, like most people have a pay review once a year. And I don't know about you two, but I don't really remember what I did on Thursday last week, let alone Thursday in October 2020. And so if you don't track your successes throughout the year, it's very hard to remember the impact that you've made on the business or the successes that you've had or the ways that you've contributed to the company culture if you don't have a record of that. Whatever it is, You can keep track of that. You can take a screenshot of a positive email from a client or a boss and you can upload that to the app. So everything's in the one place. So then when you go into your pay review conversation, you can walk in with some data and some examples to advocate and to negotiate for yourself. Oh, I love this so much. In a way, it's also, isn't it, building confidence in your own ability and you know, providing you with right. a sense of momentum when you go into that meeting that, yeah, I'm, I've got yeah. evidence. I can show what I've done. There is no reason why my compelling case should be turned down. Yeah, because I think a lot of us, you know, we will often focus on the negatives. And you might have heard of this concept of imposter syndrome. And sometimes you, you feel like you're not that good at your job and you end up spiraling in a negative way and focusing on all the things you didn't do or the mistakes you did make as opposed to focusing, reflecting and recording on all the successes. So really for us, the app is about reminding people that they're awesome, keeping track of those awesome things that they've done and then giving them a framework to discuss those awesome things 
in a way that's going to position you such that you can get that promotion, such that you can get that pay raise that you're looking for. The gender pay gap has been uh, entrenched and it's systemic and it's structural yeah. in lots of ways. Yeah. It, it hasn't shifted significantly yeah. enough to anyone's satisfaction. How does something like this deal with the systemic and structural issues around gender pay, uh, the, 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 the power within mm-hmm. most businesses where, that are still built on patriarchal foundations where men are in charge, men have their own relationships with each other, which have seen them you know, build structures that suit themselves. How do you challenge that with mm-hmm. something like Pep Talk Her? Yeah, look, I think there's so much that we need to be doing and, and using all of the levers. Like, we know to have significant change, we're going to need stuff happen at a macro level in terms of societal change. We're going to need legislative change as well. And so, really, where, where Pep Talker comes in is we sit at the grassroots level. So, we are here to support users of the app who mostly are women, but I will say we do have men that use the app as well. And so, it's interesting, when you look at the statistics in Australia, like the full-time gender pay gap in Australia is around 14% um, or so. And it's, it's similar to that right across the developed world. And there's three major things that cause the gender pay gap. One of the issues from the gender pay gap is the fact that women are more likely to be in jobs that are paid less. So, for example, we see, we see more women in jobs like nursing and childcare than we do, say, in banking or rocket science, for example. So that's one of the things that contributes to the gender pay gap. That is obviously true. But my understanding with gender pay gap issues as well is that jobs that require like the same level of qualification, whether that's like a certificate three or an undergraduate degree or whatever, the areas of work that women move into, whether it's nursing, caring roles, teaching, are paid less than the male-dominated professions that require the same qualification. So not so much things like rocket science, but things like being a plumber or labouring construction, you know, both jobs equally worthy, both equally difficult, equally require the equal training and qualification, right? Basically, almost every industry in the entire world, there is a gender pay gap. I think there's one, I believe it's mathematics, where there's not, but almost every single industry, even the industries where there's more women in those industries, there is still a gender pay gap in favour of men. Mm -hmm. And so what that tells us is that that goes to one of the other causes of the gender pay gap, right, which is that unconscious bias and discrimination. And so because that is the only thing that can explain the fact that even when there are more women in those industries, there are still more men earning more money and still more men in those senior leadership positions. And so the, which I guess is also partly due to the third part of the gender pay gap, which is time out of the workforce. And so women are more likely to have more time out of the workforce, whether it's the caring responsibilities, raising children, whatever the case may be. When economists go through the numbers and and crunch the numbers, those are the three causes that they believe are causing this gender pay gap. But the biggest piece that we can't control and that we haven't worked out how to fix yet is that unconscious bias and discrimination, right? And so we need the government to legislate things like paid family leave, all that kind of stuff to help even the playing field there. But frankly, you know, the data at the moment is saying that I think uh, the UN women's statistics say that it's going to take close on 100 years until we get to equality. Oh, and like, no, I don't know about you, Francis and Sally, but yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. probably going to take longer. And- yeah, absolutely not. We're not, yeah. we're cancelling that. Yeah. It's not going to be 100 years. <laughs> That's not. Well, exactly. and COVID set us back as well, you know, and I'm just not really, you know, like there's so many things that need to happen and I just kind of didn't want to just like sit around and wait for like governments maybe at some point to change policy and maybe societal. Um, you know, opinions of, of, of women's worth to, to shift. And so I just kind of wanted to do something. And so this is this is where we started. And these days we do a lot of work with companies as well to try and get them to 50-50 men and women in leadership. 
because we know that as women get promoted, they get paid more, as they get financial um, freedom, you know, all, all of those ripple effects in a positive way. But, yeah, there's a lot to do, as you know, Sally. So, Maggie, just to finish, you must have had some massive successes with people and you'd be getting that anecdotal evidence feeding back to you. What are some of the women who've used yeah. Pep Talker told you about what they've been able to achieve? Yeah, so we had a lady the other day who emailed us if she got $5 an hour as a pay increase, which was cool. Um, and then, you know, we had. Level. <laughs> I was like, oh no. <laughs> oh, that she's getting paid $5 an hour? No, so she got an extra. She's actually an engineer, and so she negotiated an extra $5 an hour into her pay packet. And then we've had other women who, you know, we had one woman who received an $84,000 raise. There's a woman in Sydney, actually, who's just let us know that she has just been offered a job that is double her current salary. So that's exciting. There's a varying range of increases that people have had as a result of using the app. Um, Any extra dollar is a good extra dollar. But at the same time, you know, it's also about that shift in mindset because that will last for an entire career. And so for me, like if there's anyone listening on this call today, I would say to you, you should always be asking the question. You have to have the data to back it up. You have to obviously be contributing, but you should always ask. So ask the question and let me know um, on social media how you go. I would love to love to hear your story. So just if you're looking for it, Pep Talker in, uh, in your app store, Pep Talk Her, all one word, and uh, download it, it and get cracking on it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Meggie. Yeah. We look forward to uh, seeing if we can get some pay rises for people, which we're very keen on here at, yeah. uh, at On The Job. Maggie Palmer there from Pep Talker. Check it out uh, in the App Store and uh, see if it works for you. And, of course, join your union because that's the first and fundamental way that you are going to get better pay and conditions. It's On The Job. Francis Leach and Sally Rugg with you. After this, a very serious issue about another hazard in the workplace that is causing a lot of grief for people when it comes to dangerous dusts. I'm talking silica. Now, Sal, this week in Melbourne, there's an important hearing of the Dust Disease Task Force. Now, what that is, is a body that's going around and talking to workers who are suffering from silicosis. This is a growing area of concern for people who are being exposed to silica dust. Uh, And that can happen if you're working as a stonemason, if you're working in a quarry, in all sorts of areas where silica is present and the dust can have catastrophic health impacts. We're going to hear from Dan. Walton from the AEW, the Australian Workers' Union, who are hearing increasingly from their members who've been exposed about the health impact it's having on them. And uh, he's got uh, some very strong views on what needs to happen. But first, let's hear from some of the workers themselves who are going to be speaking at the National Dust Disease Task Force hearing in Melbourne this week about their personal experience of living with silicosis. My name's Kevin Weeks. I've worked in a sand quarry for approximately 28 years. I've had various roles within the company, from forklift driving to sandbagging. In that time, I've sort of been exposed to, I believe, high levels of dust in my day-to-day work, and I feel the company has failed in their duty of care to protect their workers. When did you find out that you had the disease? found out in 2018. And things happened very quickly from that point. We were moved out of the production side of the shed. We were moved to the top office while they worked out what they were going to do with us. Then they um, sent us home on sick leave. And then several months later, they uh, deemed us medically unfit and made us redundant. So you lost your job as well as your health? 
Yes, we were just deemed medically unfit and couldn't work anymore. We'd just given a normal redundancy package and we were sent on our way and I feel the company just wiped their hands off us. Your health itself, what sort of impact is it having on you? Tell people about the nature of this disease. I'm unable to mow my own lawns anymore. That's physically too hard. I become very fatigued, breathe quite heavily, but it creeps up on you very slowly. The changes are very, very subtle. What about the emotional toll it's had on you, your family and your loved ones? It's been huge, especially the first 12 months. It was extremely difficult not knowing what was going to happen because no one could really tell you because the disease will do what it wants to do. It's not just one type of illness. It affects everyone differently. The changes are subtle, but they do happen. And emotionally, it's, it's been devastating. Hi, my name is Joanna McNeil. I currently work for Borrell. I worked in admin in the quarry there in Montrose. I also worked sometimes in the pug mill, which is in the crushing plant. Did you know much about silicosis while you were working there and before you got sick? No, I had no idea what crystalline silica was. I had no idea what silicosis was. I was never told about it. Yeah, my name's Al. I worked out at Sand Quarry for 15 years. In the first probably six years, I was on the floor bagging silica. would have been... Probably two years ago, we went and done our routine medical checkups, and then yeah, one day I was at my son's junior cricket, got a phone call saying that you need to go do extra tests. Nothing should be wrong, but they rang up while I was at work, said got to go see a lung specialist, got diagnosed with it, and then a week later we'll send home from work. What was that moment like when you found out? Yeah, not too good. A bit surreal. You sort of. You just didn't think it would happen to a, yeah, a younger person. And how's your health been since the diagnosis? I've always been a sort of reasonably fit sort of person. I love my sports. I still play all my sports, but I have yeah, noticed I can't do what I used to do. It's probably more the mental side of the things where it's affected myself and having young, young kids. And you would have had other blokes and other people in, in the workforce that you know who are also living with the disease. Tell us a little bit about what sort of impacts it's having on them. Yeah, well, I know another fella that used to live in the same town as me and worked at the same place, and he's got a, a different sort of strand of the, the silicosis, and, um, yeah, he's lost toes and teeth and, yeah, just skin and bone now. He's really struggling. What has to happen, Kevin? From your experience, what needs to happen to make sure other people don't have the same experience you're currently having? I'd like to see a lot more testing take place in workplaces and companies to act on their results, not just explain them away or, or shuffle them into a drawer. But most of all, I'd like to see good protection for their workers, not just a dust mask. A dust mask isn't enough to protect their workers. We wore dust masks and we still ended up with the disease. I'd like to see ventilated systems so the workers are breathing good, clean air. So I'd like to see really good dust protection brought for their workers. So you're going to be talking at this hearing today. What do you hope is the outcome from this hearing? And what what do you want people to know about the situation with silicosis so that they don't end up having the same experience as you? I think it's really important that we just bring this awareness, you know, for all employees. And the companies, they need to lift their game. 100% they need to have the signage it should be before you enter the site this site contains crystalline silica put signs silicosis kills it does Joanna 
Alan and Kevin telling their stories about living with the consequences of contracting silicosis by working where they were exposed to silica dust. And they have been good enough to share some of their very difficult experiences with us here on the job. Sally, Dan Walton is the National Secretary of the Australian Workers Union, the AWU. And he'll also be addressing those who'll be making decisions about how to protect his workers and others from the deadly consequences of silicosis. Dan, tell us about silica and the damage it can do to people. Well, silica dust is an unknown deadly dust disease, which is relatively new for a lot of Australian workers, uh, but has severe consequences. It is often found in a lot of industries, be it from our stonemasons to those who work in quarries, mining, and particularly a lot of construction industries more broadly. Uh, what we're finding is many workers, particularly younger workers, are contracting this deadly disease and we're trying to raise awareness about it. What sort of impact does it have on your health? Well, it creates lung issues similar in many ways to asbestosis, essentially causing uh, the degrading of your lung capacity and your ability to be able to breathe. Um, unfortunately, uh, where we saw asbestos appearing late in the lives of many workers, silicosis is appearing early on. The other danger is not only is it incredibly deadly, but so few workers actually understand what silicosis is um, and actually aware of where it is found. And for those reasons, we are really concerned because it is likely to cause more issues for Australian workers into the future. Has it also been the case that, you know, the home renovation boom, people have gone to maybe build their own kitchens or their bathrooms or whatnot, completely unaware of the dangers of doing that without the right protection when they're using products that might contain silica? Absolutely. It's taken a little while now for the government to acknowledge this fact and that there are concerns. You know, in some areas, people have been talking about this for a long period of time, but I think the severity of it is only just starting to hit home. For people doing home renos that are breaking apart concrete in the home, smashing apart, for our members that are working in the tunnels and for our quarry workers extracting the various metals and minerals that they do, are all finding themselves being exposed. And recent case studies have also shown that those workers in connection of it are like working in administrative buildings close to these quarry sites have also found that workers have been contracting silicosis. What sort of protections are available to workers? I mean, can you protect yourself working in an environment where silica is present and, you know, walk away from that with a clean bill of health if you do the right thing? Absolutely. This can be managed in a safe way. Making sure there's proper ventilation in place if you're cutting, breaking, uh, any form of stone where silica is likely to be found is absolutely crucial. And having in place the right PPE, face masks and others, to ensure that you're not exposing or inhaling deadly dust. Um, There's some simple steps that can be done which will provide enormous improvements on people's health and safety when working in connection with silica. What are some of those really simple things that could be done? Well, first off, if you are working in connection with breaking concrete, if you're working in our tunnels, if you're working in our quarries, if you're working in stone bench shops, there has to be proper ventilation in place in those facilities. Uh, For big open cut quarries and others, it's a little bit different. If you're working close connection with it, be it in sawing, jackhamming, breaking, having the right face mask in place to ensure that you're not inhaling any of these dust particles is crucial. Making sure you are not eating in connection with those areas where you're going to find um, that silica dust floating around the air is also absolutely critical as well. Uh, There's some very 
simple steps um, that where workers work in these dangerous industries, there's proper precautions put in place to manage it safely. We just want to raise awareness that silica and silicosis are incredibly dangerous for your health and well-being, and we need to make sure that when we are working in these environments, we've got an eye out into the future to make sure that all of our members and all workers can get home safely to their family. Dan Moulton, is it also a case that maybe certain materials shouldn't be used? I mean, is that what the, the unions, uh, uh, the AW is asking for, that there might be a certain stone or a certain product that is just too dangerous to use? Do we need to be wary of that? No, we're not at the point in terms of banning any specific products at this stage. We are certainly, some areas have higher concentrations of silica than others. The concern is at the moment that the federal government has essentially highlighted only one industry, be it those that work um, in around stone benchtops in particular, um, as having the additional health screening uh, precautions and uh, monitoring programs put in place. I think it's incredibly short-sighted for the government that they would essentially exclude other workers who are also exposed to silica and potentially not providing the same level of resources to make sure that their industries and their workplaces are as safe. So we are certainly saying at this point, let's make sure that everyone has got the proper precautions in place, the proper PPE in place, the proper ventilation in place. Let's raise awareness and let's make sure that those workers who have been in connection with silica for some time also have access to the additional screening and programs that the federal government's putting in place. Now, you will have uh, an opportunity to actually address a, a hearing on dangerous dust that's uh, happening at the moment to frame a policy around this issue, and there'll be workers there telling their stories as well. I'm curious, is this a better process than what we had with asbestos? We've been through this before with dangerous uh, substances in in working environments. In the asbestos case, the Bernie Banton experience showed how you could do it wrong. I mean, how, how hard it was for people to get uh, some sense of justice out of what had, had occurred to them. Have we learnt those lessons and is this process actually unfolding in a way that might actually be a, a better road for workers to travel down? Yeah, it's a very good question. I think the one thing which is a sad outcome of the asbestos campaign and the great work that Bernie Ben has done is the fact that people are aware of the severity of these dust diseases and aware of asbestosis, but that has helped shape the thinking around a lot of Australian workers to realise that inhaling um, these dust can have long-term severe and deadly effects. And so as much as being terrible about what happened with asbestos and about being able to secure compensation for the victims. The great work that was done by the trade union movement, Bernie Banton and others, has at least raised awareness that taking dust seriously is incredibly important for the health and well-being. And so that is one upside. There are inquiries that are on foot. We are with our members participating at every opportunity we've got to raise awareness and put our point of view across. We want to make sure that there's proper resources, enough resources put in place by the federal government in particular to ensure that all workers exposed to silica have the same level of protection in place. With the asbestos experience, we saw some employers and big companies like uh, James Hardy really balk, really avoid their responsibility and with real knowledge of what was going on, not actually protecting their workers. Are employers approaching this differently? Some employers uh, cotton on to the fact that this could have severe impacts long into the future and they are moving rapidly uh, to make sure there are proper precautions in place. In fairness to some businesses, they were already on top of this a couple of years ago, but most definitely there are large amounts of Australian workplaces that have very little to no understanding 
of the dangers of silica and silicosis. And as a consequence, uh, we need to raise awareness and we need to start talking about these issues. If people are working in the construction industry in and around concrete, if people are working in our tunnelling industry, if people are working in quarries, if workers in the stone industry aren't putting in place the proper precautions today, then my concern is they will potentially be exposed and become one of the long-term victims. So we need to act now. We need to enforce proper precautions to make sure that those dodgy employees that refuse to get on board are called out uh, for putting their health and safety of their workers and our members at risk um, and obviously champion the good practices that are in place where workers are afforded all the protections necessary to ensure they get home safely to their family. That's Dan Walton there from the Australian Workers Union, the National Secretary there, talking about silica, silica poisoning and the dangers of dustborne diseases. It's something that when you, say for instance, Sal, if you're doing your home reno or whatever, you might think about it. You might be just putting down this beautiful stone bench top in your island kitchen thinking, I can do this myself without thinking or knowing that it could cause you serious problems. Yeah, I, I'm i not going to renovate my house because I think the landlord would get <laughs> cross at me. I didn't know about silica poisoning and some of those anecdotes were really, really horrible. It was really great to hear from Dan. So we'll uh, follow that up with some more in the next couple of weeks because I think it's an issue that we need to keep raising awareness around uh, and uh, the hearing, we'll see what comes of that and we'll inform you when it comes up with its recommendations what the next steps are. So thanks for coming in today. We look forward to catching up again next week. Remind people where they can find you on the socials. Uh, you can look up my name on Twitter or Instagram, and you are Saint Frankly I know. on Twitter. I'm going to head off now and start thinking about my self-performance review. It's, you know, five stars? Oh, <laughs> uh, five stars, of course. And uh, you know, just Do you always find that question when they ask you in an interview, uh, so what are your weaknesses? You go, really? <laughs> is that the, is, when you do a job interview, that's the hardest question to answer? Good thing to do. What do you do in that situation? I think a good thing to do is with strengths is you kind of anticipate what your manager might think is your weakness and then you twist it into your strength. So I might say in my strength that, you know, I'm an outspoken advocate within the company, whereas, you know, that could be said to me is like, <laughs> Sally's a troublemaker. I'm like, no, I'm a, a passionate spokesperson for issue. You know, that's... Flip it. Yeah, flip it. There you go. Give it the job. Thank you, Sal. We'll catch you next week. Bye.